0: The book of 1 Timothy, what sometimes is called the pastoral epistles. Some people might call them the the missionary letters. A lot of instruction given in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, about what the church is supposed to be doing, what it looks like. And we're going to take a look, kind of jump into the middle of that book if we can, and look at chapter 3. Before we look at God's word, would you take a minute And bow your heads, bow your hearts with me. Let's ask God's blessing. Our Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you for the extraordinary power of the cross. Here we are, a gathering of your former enemies. By your blood, you've washed us, you've ransomed us. God, you've redeemed us and reconciled us. We sang this morning, you're the God who sets the captives free. God, we call out to you this morning and say, God, we want to live in the freedom that Christ has bought for us. Freedom, not as the world defines, to do whatever we want, when we want, but God, freedom to be who you have called us to be. A holy people, full of your light, full of your joy, full of your love, full of your grace. God, that is the freedom that we need. We call on you, God. May we know a greater reality of that today. For those who are in Christ, there is life, eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life now. Now your word declares that we are the sons of God. We are reconciled, hallelujah. Not being reconciled, but we are reconciled. God, we praise you for the joyous reality of fellowship with you. Your word reminds us in in 1 John that if we walk in the light, as you are in the light, we have fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. God help us some of us are not walking in the light we're walking in darkness all of us have have had moments times instances this week God where we've we've walked away we've failed to listen to your voice we've we've chosen our own God we ask that we would walk with you help us I pray that you would convict those hearts today and turn us back to you. God, we thank you there's fellowship with you. But there is no fellowship if we're walking in darkness or contrary. So help us, God. Grant repentance. Open up our eyes, our hearts, whatever that we need, God. Show us the, the vileness, the treacherousness, the corruptness of sin. Save us from an appearance of godliness looking right, but having shadows and falseness in our hearts. God, we pray, imprint this deep upon every heart that is truly yours. God, we also pray, God, for a world that is in such heaviness. All of us are aware of the harsh and horrific realities in Israel and Palestine. God, we pray for mercy. We pray that hearts could be turned to you God, we pray that on either side of the border those who know you would call on you. God, that that your light would shine in such horrific darkness. God, we pray the same thing for Ukraine and for, for Russia. That especially the grace of God would shine in spite of the darkness. And we also just remember our, our brother Spencer, um, home in the Philippines. Um at the death of his father. God, I pray for comfort, strength, and grace for Spencer today. I pray that the light and the hope of the gospel would shine in his heart. And God, out to his family that does not know you. God, thanks so much for your provision of Grace Life, for for, um, watching over Christabel, um, and for the joyous new life that you've given to Christabel and Panji. We pray for Sophia. We thank you for Sophia. Um, I'm strengthening this precious little life. Um, God, we think too of um, Daniel and Sweetie in India waiting um, a baby. God, watch over them. God, you've blessed this church with so many new children. But with that comes the the awesome responsibility of parenthood. God, how we ask that we would um, look to you for the wisdom we need. Equip the parents. Remind them that you've given them these gifts of life, God, that you'll help them. We pray for those in our midst who are discouraged. We pray pray for those here today who are defeated. God, give light, give hope, give strength, give grace. We pray, God, for purity of heart and life. We pray for, for transformation. God, we pray for conviction. We pray for boldness. God to turn to live to shine for you. So God, we do ask that you would shine upon us today. May we reflect your light. May we walk with you. God may you be glorified. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. 1st Timothy. We're going to read just beginning like I said at chapter 3. I know we're kind of jumping into the chapter. At this point, Paul has been giving instruction to Timothy, who is this younger man, and he's, he's instructing him about guiding this church. And he comes to the, chap, the topic in chapter 3 about leaders in the church. And chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, gives us this, this great description of, of what an elder is to be, read with me, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Well, why would we even bother jumping into this passage? This is a little random, maybe you think. It's not so random. What this is describing is probably one of the greatest needs of any church and a great need of our church. Our church stands in great need of those serving in the role of elder. Um, If you're not familiar with your church, if you don't know, at this moment, um, I'm the only one serving as an elder in the church. And if we just step back for a second and think about that, um, most of us have a model of Christianity where, There's a church and there's a pastor or a priest. And we've had this model before us for, I don't know, about a thousand years. But I would stop and ask you this morning before we go any further, is that model biblical? You see, we get this idea that a church has a pastor or a priest. But if we stop and take a look at the New Testament, one of the first things we're going to see about elders which is another name for pastor or or a bishop but we don't like to use the word bishop because that sounds real high and fancy but a pastor an elder a bishop a a a leader of the church that's all a synonym but i don't want to take too long in this but i want to think about this that in the new testament when we read about elders in the church it is almost always elders Plural. Um, we could look at a couple different places for this. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, Let the elders, plural, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, another letter that Paul writes to somebody else about leaders. He says, This is why I left you in Crete. Titus 1, verse 5. So that you might put what remains into order, and appoint elders (plural) in every town, as I directed you. Notice it doesn't say I, and appoint an elder in every town. He's only to appoint elders in every town. We see this in James chapter 5, verse 4: If anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elder. No, let him call for the elders (plural). 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you. 1 Peter 5, 5 again, I says, I exhort you who are younger to be subject to the elders, not to the elder. In Philippians chapter 1, when Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he says, He writes it initially. He says, first, he greets all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, plural, and the deacons. What is my meaning here? We've kind of adopted a view of church that there is a pastor, singular, and a church. And that is not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament is... is, Always, when it's talking about church leaders, it's in the plural. We say a plurality of elders. Why? Because nobody has the gifting and the wisdom to do this all by their own. It's important. The book of Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there's no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there's safety. So the idea of a church being led by elders is a very critical idea. And and there's something a little broken about this idea that we say, well, we have a pastor, and he's the one who serves the church. He's the professional. That is not what the New Testament presents. The New Testament presents that there was a body of people who gathered together, and, and God appointed and they're appointed elders to lead that church. Those people may or may not have had the privilege of serving as a full time elder pastor. I believe in the most of the history of the church, certainly the early church, the elders pastors were people who worked just like anybody else and they led the church. And this is a critical element of a church that's going to be functioning well. So back to 1 Timothy. He says it's a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Oh, we should stop there. It is a good thing it is a really good thing. He says it's a noble task to want to be an elder. God says it's noble. Let me say a little more about this. Men, you who have trusted Christ, you've believed, you've repented, you're following Christ, you're living to know more about God, His power, His grace, His love. You're seeking to grow in obedience. You want to serve him, know him more? Do you realize it is a good desire to be an elder? That's what the Word of God says. Do you have that desire? If not, why not? Let me say this real clearly, we need a new generation of godly men to serve the church as elders. And some of you some of you need to I'll say this gently, but you, you need to set aside your toys, your video games, your small ambitions. You need to stop sipping milk and start eating meat. Are you living a life for this world or for eternity? And you should ask yourself this. With God's help, why could I not be serving as an elder in two years? In five years? Maybe there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Maybe ten years. The question here should be carefully inquired, why would somebody want to be an elder? Well, it's not for the attention. That would be a wrong reason. To have authority? No, that would be a wrong desire. To have ease for the money? No, these would not be good reasons to be an elder. Why would we want to be an elder? To glorify God. You see, because any of the work that you are going to do in this earth is probably not going to last super long. If you did something that lasted beyond your tombstone of a hundred years, that would be something. Most of our work will not. But I'll tell you what investing in God's church, that is going to go on. That is going to bear fruit to eternity. Well, the question then comes, well, well, who can be an elder? Paul's painting a picture here. In these verses, this is really important to know. He's he's painting a picture. It's not merely a checklist. He's creating an image. It's, It's like a sketch of an individual that is genuinely godly. That's what this is. It's Christ at work, transforming a heart, And the love and the grace of God are breaking through and shining from the inside out. We're going to look at these characteristics briefly and consider them. But I don't want us to lose the the forest through the trees. Because let's step back just for one minute and look at this whole thing and see if we can observe a couple things before we break it up into parts. I've got like four observations here. Number one, number one, this view, this, this, this picture of this elder, we're seeing it, it's from many angles. Okay, did you notice this? You see, it's a, it's a view, one, from the church. He says, as, as brothers and sisters, you should see this in this individual. But then you see, as, as he goes down the list, it goes actually to the home. And it's saying, you know what, that, that individual should look the same in the church and the same at home. And then he even takes it one more step. He says, you know what, actually, that, that person should look the same at the church, at the home, and at work. It's a composite picture. It's not just as one. God's not saying, no, 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 I want someone who looks godly on Sunday to lead my church. That's not what we're talking about. We want it to be, it needs to be genuine so number one it's a composite there's nothing more destructive than a man who leads the church with a godly pretense in public but in home as an ogre or a tyrant or anything else than a servant of god number two this portrait what we have here Listen to this carefully. It is a summary of character. It's a summary of character, not a summary of gifting. There's nothing in here talking about gifting. It's all about character. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a degree. It's not a diploma. It is the work of God's grace that has transformed somebody, working, making them more like Jesus and shining out. It's, it's a plant that is growing and over time, it's starting to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. So it's a composite from a lot of angles. Number two, it's character, not gifting. Number three, because it's a portrait of character and not gifting, it is something that everyone can aspire to. Think about that for a minute. Everyone aspire to this. Let me repeat this because this is a key point. Because it's character and not gifting, it is something that everyone can aspire to. No matter who you are or where you are in a Christian walk, by the grace of God and through the grace of God, God's grace can transform you into this. Because what this is a picture of is this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in real time. Galatians 6, we've got the fruit of the Spirit, or Galatians 5, end of chapter 5. But this is answering the question, well, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like? Here it is, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Now, there's only one exception on this list. There's only one thing some of you can't aspire to and you shouldn't. But we'll get there when we get there. Number four, last big picture observation. I've already said this, but it's a portrait of a spirit-filled person. There are strange and unbiblical ideas of what being a spirit-filled person means. Some people say it means they have a gift or this gift or that gift or I can do this or I can do that. A Spirit-filled person is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. It's a life that's yielded to God. Let's take a look at these individually real quick. We'll probably not get through them all, but we'll get through some of it. He says, therefore, verse 2, an overseer must be above reproach. I I believe this, this idea of above reproach is kind of an overarching statement. This isn't the first of things he lists. This is kind of like a statement. An elder needs to be above reproach. And then the rest of what follows is to answer the question, well, what does it mean to be above reproach? It doesn't mean perfect. We know that. But it's an idea, okay, we we see a quality, we see a maturity. And he goes on. What does it mean to be above reproach? Well, let's see what he says. He says, the husband of one wife. What does that mean? Does that mean an elder needs to be married? Does that mean an elder cannot be divorced? Does that mean he can't be a polygamist and have a lot of wives? Well, yes, maybe, but maybe a little bit more. There's something here that's really helpful in this verse that that I don't want to get way, way locked into. But this is a contended topic in a modern world that has placed a lot of emphasis upon equality. And a lot of people have taken great offense to the fact that God says, well, why why is it men are leaving the church? We do know this. That God, in his word and his goodness, he he wrote the original text in Greek. And there's a a generic word for man or like mankind that we read in a lot of places in the Bible. And then there's a more specific word that means like man, like a, a man, guy, husband. And it's good to know that in this text, when it says the husband of one wife, it's not just saying anybody And not to take shots or to degrade anything, but this verse has been translated in a lot of different ways. The Swedish Bible 2000 translates this verse, bara which would translate, married only once. And I'm sorry, that's not a translation. That is an interpretation. In fact, it's not an interpretation. It's a bad interpretation. Because what it is saying is a husband of one wife. Now, what is the difference between being married only once and a husband of one wife? Let's talk about that. Literally, this means a one-woman man. A one-woman man. This is a man who is characterized by faithfulness and fidelity to his wife. And that's important. In fact, that's a higher standard than saying just married once. Because there's a lot of guys that are married once and are not a one-woman man. The men who lead God's church must be one-woman men. They're known as faithful and trustworthy. Men, you should be striving and pursuing a course to be a one-woman man. Whether or not you're an elder, whether or not you are married or single, this should be the character and content of your life as a child of God. For example, a one-woman man avoids being alone with a woman in private. He he's not f- flirtatious. A one-woman man is living in a way that he is committed to his wife and he regards other women with respect. A one-woman man is avoiding intimacy, physical or emotional, with any other woman than his wife. That's a one-woman man. And God says, if you're going to lead the church, this is, this, is, this is critical. Now, for some today, you're asking the question, well, why is it a man? Why not a woman? The simple answer is this is what God has clearly said. And it's important. Don't let someone say, well, that was Paul. Or Paul was a sexist. Or Paul was a bigamist. Friends, Paul did not write this. These are the words of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God. Beware... Beware when a world, a world that is opposed to God, rejecting him, rejecting his authority, a world that regularly distorts truth, distorts right and wrong, when that becomes the basis of our questioning God. We want to be aware of that. Our unwavering commitment must be to God and his word. And that's a both and, friends. Our commitment to God and his word. It can't be an either or. It's a both and. It's not my job to question God's word. It is certainly not my job to edit God's word or to reinterpret. But why? Why? The question why, it's not not a bad question. Why does God say a woman cannot be a pastor or an elder? I would be glad to talk about this. Glad, 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 but we're not gonna do that this morning. Can I just say this? And this might not satisfy you, but hold on to this. If this is a question you don't understand, that's okay. The answer is this, because God is good. He's just, he's fair, and his ways are perfect. Don't allow this to be an accusation against God's character because that's how this comes across. Well, God's not fair. Oh, yes, he is. He's the only one who's fair. This way is because God is good. So, So these sometimes get mixed in with these bad accusations. Well, maybe God's holding out. God doesn't want my best. No, no, God wants your and my very, very best. And so if we don't understand that, it's okay there is a reason and it's good so God in his in, in his in his wisdom has declared that, that men are going to lead the church I'll tell you why it's not if it's just any help we know what it's not for right it's not because men are smarter we got that one down right I mean, I would say most of the ladies in this congregation could run laps around me mentally, intellectually. It's not because of brain power. It's not because of spirituality. It's not because men have a greater worth. What it reflects is that God is a God of order. And he's the point. He says, hey, there's going to be a way things are done. And, and my way, my decree, is it's going to reflect my glory is with men leading. And I know that's a big question in our society today. But let me say this. Part of the confusion and part of the brokenness today in our world when it comes to gender issues where we have everything all upside down and messed up, part of this confusion has been created by the church not being clear about these issues. You see, I wanted to make something very clear if you don't forget everything else I say today. When people wander away from truth, people wander incrementally, okay? Sometimes it takes generations to leave truth. Very few people say, no, I'm going to go completely to a 180 and I'm going to oppose God. Today I'm following him, tomorrow I'm just going to walk away. No, we start to go off one degree at a time. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Quietly, subtly. And that's very important for us to realize. When somebody says that somebody fell into sin, friends, make no mistake, they probably did not fall far it's incrementally we slowly slowly go until until the the foundation has has been eroded and this is one of the places where god's word has been very very clear and yet because we're we're so willing to let the culture dictate to us what is true we've run into a world of confusion i would love to take questions about this more we're going to move on i hope that doesn't leave you dissatisfied i just for time's sake a one woman man he goes on. A leader in the church, a leader in a church is someone who is sober-minded. How can we define this? I like to think of this as someone who is not affected or steered by their passions. We all have feelings, we all have emotions, but, and it's not that those are wrong, but they're not steering us and affecting us. It's understanding and seeing things in a, in a sober idea. The idea of is not being drunk in the mind. Sober-minded. In fact, this word is often in the New Testament, it's only referred to a couple times. It's almost always paired together with the next qualification, if you will. Self-controlled. Sober-minded and self-controlled. It's like they're, they're cousins. It's like they're really close together. Where there's self-control, a sober mind. They they complement each other. Self-controlled, what does that mean? To be disciplined, not needing or dependent upon external restraints. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is so vital. Just to move on. The next thing it says is, is the elder must be respectable. The word actually translates sometimes as modest, orderly. It's, it's, it's not drawing attention to self. It's someone who's been faithful. And to keep moving, the next thing it mentions is hospitable. What does it mean to be hospitable? Why would it be important for someone who's leading the church to be hospitable? Hospital means literally the, the love of strangers. It's a regard for people, not just that I know, but actually people that I don't know. And it's such a picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be as we're all these strangers and foreigners, these people that we don't know, but we're united in Christ. Hospitable. It's this willingness to share what I have. The next thing I've said is, is, is able to teach. Able to teach. Do you have to have a degree to be able to teach? I think it's important to, to say that able to teach does not mean you have to stand here and be able to talk to people. Maybe that's one aspect. We see this idea of preaching. That's that's, that's one application of teaching. But teaching goes far, far more. Teaching could be in a Bible study. Teaching could be over there. Over there with those people. On the other side, three to ten-year-olds. I'll tell you what, you know you've got a gift of teaching. If you can hold the the attention span of three to ten-year-olds. Somebody who's able to teach. It could be very, very simply just sitting down with somebody and talking through Scripture. It's not not the the gifting of being able to hold people's attention. We've kind of gotten messed up with that. Paul, when Paul presents himself, he says he was somebody of weak stature. He was unimpressive. So this idea of being able to teach is clearly being able to explain and apply the Word of God. The ability to teach is intricately linked to a knowledge and love of God and his word. Because those people who love God want to know him. And so so a, a sign, if you will, of a teacher is somebody who loves to study the word of God. And has a desire and a joy of sharing in fact this 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 qualification here is one of the things that separates an elder from a deacon which Paul goes on to explain afterwards the teaching why is that important it's not the gift that's important what is important is declaring the truth of god and God's saying it is so important that when God's truth is being laid out, we are clear, we are faithful, we are accurate. It's not just to be approximately right. It's very important because God's word is important. And we want to be careful with it. Paul goes on and then, and then from a contrast, the next four things that he, he lists here. He said, this is what an elder is. And he he makes four statements, but an elder is not this. So like as if we were painting a picture, we might do shading, where we shade out of a figure. If we're drawing a picture, we have shading to give kind of depth. Well, this is shading. And it's saying, well, this is what an elder is not. An elder, first of all, he's he's not a drunkard. Well, I I hope that's obvious. If I was up here slurring my words because I was hung over, that would be an odd thing, wouldn't it? It just wouldn't work. We would, we would question somebody who's willing to be controlled by something else other than the Spirit of God. Somebody that is addicted to something that would not be somebody who should believe in. Not violent. Have we learned to be gentle? Not just physically violent, but do I always have to have my way? Am I, am I dictating things? Can I let go? Not quarrelsome. Do I always have to be right? One of, the, one of the dark places about theology is that people sometimes like to argue about theology. And, and, and in some very good and important things, we can miss the big things. Quarrelsome. Am I seeking, am I a peacemaker like we're going to read about in a few weeks? the Sermon on the Mount. Not a lover of money. The history of the church is full of exploitation because religion is very exploitive. A lot of people have gotten rich in the name of religion and they're doing it today. I would not want to step into eternity. Getting rich, stealing in the name of God. A lover of money, being controlled by that love. He rounds it out. He brings it home. He must manage his household well. Now, a couple questions we could ask. Is does, does somebody actually have to have a household? Do you have to have kids? Can I be an elder? I don't have kids anymore. I have adults. Can I do this? Well, no, I think the idea is if that person has children, if that person has a household, are they managing it well? Oh, I'll tell you what. If they are, that's a sure mark of the Holy Spirit at work, right? Parents with young children, can I have an amen? Wow, that is a hard task. And yet that's a transform, transforming task. You with small kids don't give up. God's doing something wonderful in you with those little, little, whew, those people. <laughs> and God's saying the person who's going to lead the church is going to be tempered by that process. God's going to use that in their life to teach them humility, grace, a dependency upon God that maybe they didn't have possible before but it's also a genuineness. It's real on the outside. He must not be a recent convert. Here, the first explanation. Or, why? To be under the condemnation of the devil. To be puffed up. It gives the idea here that pride is very possibly a liability for those who are leading the church. To think, huh, I must be something. Something very special about me. Pride is a liability not just to a leader in the church. This is a liability to us all. And may one of the prayers on each of our lips be repeatedly, God, help me walk in humility. Remind me, God, that whatever gift, whatever standing I have, it's not for me. Paul asks the question, right? What do you have? That wasn't given to you write out the list sometime what do you have that wasn't given to you your intellect your bank account your shoes your physical abilities your weaknesses may God give us a humility and may that mark those who lead the church Moreover, he must be well thought of by the outsiders. So they might not fall in disgrace. God wants those who lead in the church that when somebody on the outside, though they hate Jesus, though they hate the church, though they despise what Christianity and religion may be, they say, you know what? He works honestly. He's diligent. He's kind. He's a great neighbor. He's thoughtful. I don't like his religion. I like to talk to him about Jesus. I'll tell you what. I see something different about him. The reason that is is because there really is a difference. It's not. It's not a veneer. God's saying that the people that lead in, in the church, it's, it's not a Hollywood prop. It's not a makeup. It's not a costume that's put on. It is something that's transformed somebody from the inside out. That person is who I want leading my church. Now, just a couple applications from this. What do we do? Well, maybe say this. Why are we talking about this? Well, as you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm the only elder in the church. And most of you are thinking, what about Tom? You're thinking, right. Tom has been serving in the position of an elder for, I don't know, the past year and a half. But one of the last steps for Tom to become an elder... Is to be recognized as an elder how does that happen that is when the church the members of the church say yeah we see this in tom's life or some other brother's life and we believe that that qualifies them to lead the church and that's an important step and as our church has only recently had membership We've not taken that step. But I think we're ready to. I think we're ready to think that over and to pray about that. And so that would be one of the first things I'd ask you to be doing is praying. Pray for Tom. Um, Pray for others that we could use to be leading in the church. Just a couple applications. Can I close? Just, just... What does this matter? We ask the question well, so what? Number one, it matters to God. This matters a lot to God. So what? What does it matter? Number two, it's a mark of God and His Spirit. Number three, God's churches be led by men that are submitted to God. It gives us the opportunity to trust that God is at work in somebody's life because we see their life transformed by God. Number four. This is a safeguard against wolves and false shepherds. The Bible warns and shows examples of people that looked a little bit like a shepherd they looked like a sheep but they were actually wolves in fact this is why the bible says don't lay hands or that, that don't don't recognize somebody as an elder suddenly we should take some time you don't want to place someone in a place of authority quickly consider observe and evaluate so it safeguards against false teachers and wolves number five This is a reason why you should be very careful about Bible teachers. How can I say this? For some of you, you're really glad to just turn on YouTube and find the latest message, which may or may not be good. But here's the thing. Think about this. I'm not saying don't. What I am saying is you do not know what someone is really like. What somebody knows, what they claim, what they teach, it doesn't matter if their life is not submitted to God. See, God puts premium on the vessel. Not perfect vessels, but vessels that are submitted to him. And this is the problem with 10,000 teachers that are on the internet. You cannot know by confirmation of their life if they are a wolf or a sheep. See, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why God calls us into a body. We, we get to know each other. We say, yeah, I, I see God at work in their life. There's a consistency. where on a flat screen. We don't know. A couple more things. If you observe an elder or a pastor of your church living contrary to this, You should not ignore this. This is a big deal to God. What should you do? Well, you should pray, ask for wisdom, discernment. If possible, you should express your concern to someone else in leadership. And you should bring it up, your concern to the elder, It'd be nice if it was in a kind and gracious manner. They would probably appreciate that. I would. But friends, I want to say this to you very, very openly. If you see something in my life that is contrary to Scripture, I want to hear it from you. It is more important for my life to be aligned to the Word of God than for me to stand in front of you. And part of your job as a church is helping walking beside me application number seven pray for those who are in leadership obviously there's a strategic priority on those that are leading because it could well affect affect a whole church if a pastor falls or fails so pray for those elders pray for those who are leading And lastly, pray that God would be equipping and transforming men here in our church and in other churches to be these spirit-filled men. In fact, I would encourage us as we go to prayer today, if as we gather in small groups, that that would be one of the things that you could pray for in your small groups, that God would be leading, preparing, and protecting the leadership of our church. It's something that we don't want to take for granted. And it's really a need that we are saying, God, we, we could use more people in that role to help be guiding and leading and shepherding. Let's pray. Father, as I, I read through this list, I think of my own life, and I ask God, please help me to be faithful. Let me not stand in my own strength in any of these areas. Give me grace, God, to take heed to myself, to what I teach, to how I live in public and in private. God, I pray that for all of us. Maybe it's a greater liability because I stand in public, but all of us need to take heed to ourselves, to what we believe, to how we live. God, what a glorious thing if our church was full of people, your children, full of your spirit, full of your truth, full of your fruit. God, make us that people. We ask, God, that your word would dwell in us richly. We ask, God, for the transformation that we all need in all of our lives as we learn to trust you more. So, God, I pray for those in in this room today who may feel impeded by one or multiple areas in their life where they think, wow, I'm not, I have so far to go. There's a chasm in my heart, and I, I, I'm, I'm fearful of that chasm. God, fill that chasm full of your grace. We ask for humility, God. Humility to, to be honest about where we fall short. Humility to, to seek help where we need help. But God, humility that would turn our hearts to you needy In that need, may we find how sufficient you are. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for this church, for the freedom we have to gather, for the hope that we have because of you. May may that hope transform us. God, this week, look, God, let, let, let praise be on our lips for what you have done, for what you are doing. God, let that word reconciled rattle around in our heart and make us say hallelujah we who have been saved by the grace of God are reconciled to you. God, conquer fears in us. Conquer conquer darkness, shadows. Oh God, be transforming our hearts and lives towards you that, that you would get the praise and the glory and the honor. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.